and welcome to Reptar Screenings episode 97. I'm your host, M. With me, our host, Jackson. Hello. And Destiny. Hi. I feel like I stumble over saying regular co-hosts every time. I just need to enunciate a little better. Watching this movie reminded me the power of enunciation, clear and concise (laughs) and measured speaking. Uh, you got to speak truth to power on this podcast that we do. I don't want to speak. I mean, I, 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 you know what? Honestly, let's be real. I don't actually care that much about speaking truth to power. I would like to be uh, cool and I would like people to go like, oh, their oration, their oratory is very good. <laughs> I, I feel true. inspired. This is true. Em's always like, I'm an orator. <laughs> um, Jackson, have you seen movies? Fuck no. Man, I was like, oh, you're going to watch Pegasus this week. I do have it. I should, I should watch that. It, it, there is literally nothing stopping me from watching it now. Uh, you did ask me to. So that one, I should actually get on and do that like tonight or something. Yes. Uh, Destiny. I watched a film. I watched The Cat, directed by Lam uh, Gai Kai from 1992. Yes. About who was the, the director of uh, uh, Story of Rikyo. Ricky? Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I've not seen. You've no, seen no, it. No. I've never yeah, seen, seen it. it. Um, I thought this movie was great. It's about a cat from outer space who teams up with a space girl and an old guy to fight off a, an evil space fungus blob that is killing people. And it kind of starts out as like a story within a story. And then it kind of just like opens up from there when the main character or the guy narrating like gets involved with the, the alien uh, like being obsessed with the alien cat and trying to like investigate it, and then it kind of doesn't really go anywhere for a while. There's just like a bunch of silly special effects, and then there's this part where he's like, you know what can stop a cat? Because at first he thinks the cat's a menace and he wants to try to stop it, so he doesn't understand that it's trying to save the world. So he's like, you know what could stop this cat? A dog. So they get this huge, beautiful dog. I don't know what breed because I'm not good at this sort of thing. A mastiff? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so there's this amazing, like, really long sequence of um, a black cat fighting a dog. And it's very funny. In, like, a junkyard. It's, it's, like, filmed, like, a huge, like, they live style brawl between the two of them with, like, lots of puppets uh, in her cut. Like, there's a bit where the dog grabs the cat by the tail and the cat's, like, holding onto the ground and, like, reaches out with its paw to, like, hit a steam vent lever to like hit the dog with a steam vent uh it's very silly <laughs> it's hilarious it's like one of the best things i've ever seen uh this was part of the criterion collections cat movies uh collection which is just movies about cats i really hope they do a dog movie one soon even though all dog movies are sad <laughs> Are there happy dog movies? I wouldn't know. I've only seen sad ones. I don't but, think yeah. that's true. There's like Beethoven. Beethoven's not sad. I guess that's true. There's Turner and Hooch. I don't actually, I think, I actually think Turner and Hooch ends sad. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> I don't Turner and Hooch end it. with the sad part? I think it ends sad. Yeah, I don't, I haven't seen it. I don't actually. Dogs I've never seen it. fucking dying. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason, dogs, there's no, there is no dog death in this movie, even though, uh, the dog alert. does get like stabbed by the cat and uh, suplexed, uh, and, but it just goes to the hospital. It's fine. Yeah, he's fine. Cat, no, cats don't be dying in the same way, like no. in cinema. I don't know. I mean, they'd be dying in life, but I, I don't know why that we've decided that dog death is like the saddest thing you put on screen, um, as opposed to. I, I assume it's just because you know it's easier to do a movie about a dog who follows you around and not a cat who just kind of shits everywhere. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's kind of hard to film a cat. Like the way this movie's filmed is very funny. Like there's a scene where she's like flying and she wants the cat to come fly with her. And there's just close ups of the cat clearly sitting like with the sky behind it. And they make it try to look like he's flying. And then when the cat's about to fly, they just use a puppet to like, climb up a electrical <laughs> post and then they get interrupted so the can't the can't cat can't actually fly and it's very funny yeah it's really good um it's a beautiful I, cat it's one of those movies where like the subtitles are fucking dog shit but i wouldn't want it any other way <laughs> that's true <laughs> you're like, too you're like sometimes you're like i just don't I don't think this represents what's actually happening in the movie, but I'm just going to, like, assume with the context clues that I can figure it out. Um, And it's fine, because it's not that deep. It's like a very goofy sci-fi action movie. Um, Some of the greatest cinema is about getting a big, goopy puppet and then blowing it up at the end. And this movie's got that, you know? Uh, I also... 
I also want to say, I don't know anything about Golden Harvest Films. That's like the company that's like known for these movies. Um, this movie felt like you could show it to kids. But then there's like this like weird part, like very early on where they just like show a close up of a woman uh, being sexy. <laughs> Just yes. for no reason. Like, if you took that out, you could chill this movie to a child. I mean, there's like, also the part where uh, the giant space mushroom melts guys into bloody skeletons. I would be allowed to watch that as a child. Yes, no, so. me too. But I feel yeah. like the average child does not get exposed to that stuff as much as probably they used to in the 80s when we were kids. Yeah, that's true. I guess. Uh, my nephew is the exception, but <laughs> you what, can handle it. That the, the, the kids still love horror. What do you What do you mean? Yeah, I just don't know. I you know I like I know kids love fucking liminal spaces and skimmy toilet, but I don't think they're watching like slasher films on TV because kids aren't watching TV like that. Well, yeah, well, um, that's because these are movies from the eighties and watching modern things, but they're still watching horror things. Oh, they love yeah. horror. Control. Yeah, you know, I know. I just think that what the horror is has changed a lot, and they are not exposed to blood and guts like movies the way that we were as kids. No, I'm not sure either. Yeah, but I also feel like, I don't know, I could show this movie to a kid. Like, there's a scene where the cat falls out of a, jumps out of a window, like, literally jumps out of a window, and the glass shape around is a cat-shaped glass. Yeah, it's really good. It, it's um, very cartoony. One of the weird things, this is like a 92 movie, but, like, multiple people are constantly going around referencing, like, ah, everything's about to go to shit in 97 when the handover happens. <laughs> Just as, like, a going concern of, like, the idle rich in Hong Kong, which is very fun to see in a movie that is not about any of those things. Yeah, it comes up multiple times. Yeah. Uh, well, that's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, the other movie I watched is The Boyfriend, the 1971 Ken Russell movie based on the 1953 musical by the same name, um, which stars Twiggy, a famous, uh, model. Um, it's about like a theater. It's like a rundown shitty theater in 1920s London. And the main actress of this musical is late. To the performance so they get twiggy who's like the understudy to do the roles and it's like this goofy like class comedy where like she's like a rich girl who's got to have a boyfriend for the ball but she doesn't actually have a boyfriend she's been lying to all of her friends about the boyfriend and she finds a guy and convinces like just an aw shucks guy i think he's like a delivery man to be her boyfriend but then they end up actually falling in love um and while they're doing this performance a f- famous movie director is here to try to find people to be in their the hot new movie And so it's them doing this shitty musical while the director is imagining putting these people in like movie musicals and they're imagining what they could do if they were like successful, like actual good stage performers. So it goes between like the low rent musical theater uh, to big like Bubsy Berkeley specifically like referenced giant sets and Technicolor like 1930s musical stuff. I mean, not that they were in color in 1930s, but they're, they're trying to harken back to that sort of like filmmaking. Um, and that stuff's fine. It runs into the problem that all movies have made after the 1950s is that trying to get your actors to perform like stage musical performers performed in the 30s is impossible because no one's trained to do that anymore. <laughs> Um, that's true (laughs) truly not (laughs) and so it's like it's like nice like it looks nice but i'm like no one here can dance like they could dance back then um also everyone's doing their most ridiculous like 1920s london like lower class accents like just turned up to 11 it just sounds like me making fun of jackson over here constantly i'm going to go to the theater (laughs) yeah um let's put on a show and it just has it just has kind of a manic energy which like all ken russell's movies mostly do but i just didn't think it like i was looking for something a little weirder um and it ends up mostly just like leaning into the musical stuff and I, I thought it was fine, but like I, it, Ken Russell got a mid movie and it's this one. Maybe he's got more, but I've loved everything I've seen from him and watching this one. I was like, this is just like, okay. And that, that bummed me out. I was like, man, even, even the immortals can miss sometimes. Oh, everyone's capable of mid. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, you want to believe that's not true, but it's definitely true. I want to believe in my heart that some people are just never were mid. Uh, well, not that they were always good, but they were never mid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if this was a spectacular, terrible film, that would be different. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just kind of a movie you watched. Yeah, yeah, it's a movie mm-hmm. I watched. And some parts were like, some of the stage stuff was good, but I thought, thought the plot was like hokey and went on way too long. You know, what are you going to do? 
Uh, anyway, that's it for us. So I guess we'll get into our movie club this time. Our movie this week is Good Night and Good Luck, the 2005 historical drama directed by George Clooney, written by George Clooney and Grant Heslov about uh, Edward R. Murrow and McCarthy on, you know, the, the when public opinion turned against Senator McCarthy in the mid 50s in America. Um, I saw this movie in the theaters when it came out the first time because I was going to movies. <laughs> Um, and I had it on DVD, showed it to some friends, like I've seen it a couple times. Uh, so it was very funny when Jackson picked this one. Uh, neither of you had seen Destiny thought she had seen it. Turns out we loaded it up and she was like, I was thinking of Frost Nixon, which is very funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm a mess. So I actually had not seen this film. And I need to know, I need everyone to know that although, given me, if you would probably just not believe this, I did not know anything about this movie other than it was a George Clooney movie that M liked. Uh, yes. I suggested it. Um, well, yes, you re- you understood immediately why I laughed at you when you picked this. <laughs> yeah, um, because it is the newsroom episode zero over here. Yes. Uh, the, the tale of Edward R. Murrow, guy I don't fucking know about because I'm British. Uh, and not, not old enough British to remember when he did the reports in London during the war. <laughs> Well, no, I'm not 70, not, not 70, I'm 90, 90 years 90. old. I'm not Tom Baker turning 90 today. Yes. You don't remember This Is London? No, we do not remember This Is London. Uh, my grandma was four at the time and she's dead. So like, <laughs> no, I do not remember these things. Um, But yeah, so, so watching it and realizing what the movie was, was very funny as it was like this treaties about the importance of the press and we must fight mccarthyism uh and blah 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 blah. kids be watching too much tv these days they'd be on their phones etc etc uh yes uh and yeah so that that's that was the film uh i guess i should summarize the plot uh yes which is <laughs> hey it's that stuff it's edward O'Murrow doing some reports uh on uh senator mccarthy uh it's mostly focused on his CBS newsroom team and his relationship with his producer, who is played by George Clooney. Um, there's a couple of going subplots, like the uh, other news anchor who killed himself, real guy, uh, the uh, junior like reporter guy who's secretly married to someone there, uh, even though that's against the rules and will be getting fired over at the end of the movie. Also, a real guy um, doesn't actually have anything to like do with the plot really, other than it did actually happen that way. <laughs> I was like, why was that guy in the movie? He didn't like connect it to the themes, really. He tried to, but it, what's he doing there in the film? And you're like, well, it did happen. Yeah, the uh, thing is, it did happen. <laughs> um, uh, and it goes through the reporting, goes through them uh, publishing like their attacks on uh, McCarthy's uh, overreach, uh, McCarthy firing back, the networks letting him have his own say on in the air slot, them going back and forth. Uh, and eventually sliding into uh, this is not making us any money to have you fight this fight on the national TV. Uh, we are moving you to Sundays for five episodes. Uh, get fucked. Goodbye. Uh, and him and George Clooney walk away very uh, poignantly uh, smoking and hopeless about the future of media because this movie was made in 2006, looking back on the 50s. Um and that's kind of the movie. It doesn't really have a plot beyond the things that happened. Uh, no, it, 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 even at the time I was like, well, this is like, this is like an arty version of like a thing they would show you in social studies class to teach you about history on a day where there's a sub. I can't stress that. I would say a solid 30% of this movie is the like address. Like the, most biopics, right. Would like cut around the like public performances. Cause we've already, it, would be understanding the audience has seen them. I haven't, so I guess well, I mean, it was helpful for me. I don't think. I don't think even in. I don't think people. The thing is, you know, I wasn't alive. I was born in the eighties. I hadn't seen any of this stuff. Like this was my introduction to Edward R. Murrow. I kind of knew that he was an old news guy, but like I didn't know anything about this stuff until this movie came out. Exactly. <laughs> sure, but, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But that doesn't. Ex- a l- large chunk of the running time is like static shots of him reading out his reports to the camera that he yes. did on television at the time yes. like it, it's not like oh we're adding in more scenes to like dig yeah, into like, his motivations or whatever <laughs> it's just going to present to you the stuff it knows that kind of happened yes 
Um, I like that stuff specifically because I, this, I, this era of TV is like fascinating to me where fucking everything is live and like, is being like timed out while people are like literally George Clooney sitting at Ed Romero's feet, like tapping his leg when they're cued in. Right. <laughs> because that's yeah, how I love to that too. It. Yeah. Um, it just is wild to me that there's like a whole decade of television where like nothing was going to tape. Nothing was pre-made. It was all just airing as it happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like television's wild. Yeah. Um, yeah, from the soap operas to the newscasts, it's and very everyone's, weird. Everyone's fucking smoking. Uh, this is one of those movies where it's like, yeah, no, everyone just fucking smokes all the time. Uh, Edward R. Murrow chain smoking this entire movie. Uh, ripped to the real man, Edward R. Murrow, who dies of lung cancer like 10 years after the events of depicted in this movie. <laughs> uh, uh, that's not surprise me, given how much he is smoking constantly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He like he like did one of his like last reports is about like early pe- like report on the link between smoking and cancer. Oh, this was and, right. This is before they even knew. This is yes. like they were still advertising yeah. pre Mad Men, right? Yes. Like, oh. Yeah, they could advertise cigarettes on television back then. That stopped in the seventies. Yeah. Well, they, they were still advertising cigarettes as like a health thing, weren't they? Because I like, yes. remember that. Mm-hmm. From- from oh yeah, Mad Men was damn. Yeah, yeah. It says here, like on the Edward Murrow thing. See it now is the first television program to have a report on connection between smoking and cancer. Um, during the show, Murrow said, "I doubt I could spend a half hour without a cigarette without any comfort or ease." Um, and yeah, he like lost a lung, <laughs> um, died at fifty-seven in like nineteen sixty-five. Uh, wait, so he's like early forties in this movie? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, David Strathairn just older than that, right? Like that's just I don't know. David Stratham, when this movie came out, would have been 50, yeah, 55 Yeah, okay, that's, far, okay, that makes way more sense. I mean, the thing is, he looks better than real-life Edward R. Murrow did in the 50s. Everyone looked old, everyone was smoking all the time and drinking a lot. Yeah. Uh, the casting of Robert Downey Jr. is very funny in this movie because he's just not, a, at least in 2006, is not a believable-looking 50s guy. Not a 50s, not a, yeah. <laughs> It's weird because, like, one of his most famous, like, pre-going-to-jail roles for me was um, Chaplin, where he plays Charlie Chaplin. And he does, he fucking kills it in that movie. And he plays much more believable as, like, a 1920s guy than he does a 1950s guy. I agree. Which is something about his face. Yeah. Yeah. It's just because this isn't, it's not just 50s guys, that this is 50s guys in suits smoking all the time. Yes. He's just a little too young and clean-faced for that. When when Franklin Jella and Ray Wise are there, you're like, man, those are some fifties guys. <laughs> yeah, Ray Wise is a fifties fucking guy. And Ray Wise was there, man. <laughs> Ray Wise's terrible hair in this movie, ripped to him. <laughs> oh, he kills it. He's smoking he's so, so good. Yes, he's he's a sad man in this movie. <laughs> he reminds me so much of Jack Lemmon in Glen Gary Glen Ross. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just a, a flop sweat little man. Yeah, he is Mister mm, Flop so Sweat. Sad. Yeah. <laughs> It's really funny because George Clooney's in here just looking like George Clooney, just like full on movie star in the middle of all of these like, hang, like ch- chisels, not the right word, but just like these men who like f- there's a 50s look and George Clooney doesn't have it. He's so glamorous to me. Yes. Like it takes me out almost. Yeah. He <laughs> uh, fits in, though. I don't know. I'm always happy to see George Clooney, especially me when he's here mumbling, just doing mm-hmm. his like low key thing. I also feel the way about Jeff Daniels. I mean, Jeff Daniels is not wrinkled enough to play the man that Jeff Daniels is playing in this movie. No, but it makes me laugh because he's Mr. Newsroom. He's Mr. Newsroom, yes. My association with Jeff Daniels is he plays the diner guy in Pleasantville. So I just think of him in black and white. Yes. (laughs) Because I've seen Pleasantville like a million times. It's one of my favorite movies. So yeah, I think of him as like an old timey black and white guy. Uh, this movie's weird because like it's in black and white, but it was filmed on color film stock and then just color corrected in post production. They did um, a grayscale set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and part of that was because they wanted to use they didn't want to have an actor play um, McCarthy. So when they realized they were going to use the real footage of McCarthy, which is all in black and white, they're like, "Well, I guess we're just going to shoot the whole movie in black and white." <laughs> it's a very walking backwards into making your movie look striking sort of thing. I assumed there was always a like arty intention of the movie. No, uh, <laughs> me too. I was surprised to hear that. It's and it I, looks beautiful. They they shot the shit out of it. Uh, it's yes. a incredible yes. looking movie. Um, and I love that there's no one that plays McCarthy. I think that's cool. I love that one of the complaints they got in testing says was that the McCarthy actor was too exaggerated. <laughs> <laughs> that guy was such an asshole. 
Um, I mean, this is the thing, like, tell, this is one of the, the things about TV, like, when, especially, like, when you get to, like, the Nixon years, it's like, these guys who were famous were not t- media trained, right? There's there's the Eisenhower speech at the end, and Eisenhower just looks like a little Monopoly man. Uh, <laughs> like, these oh, yeah, people just have... Pretty media training. Even the people who, like, can give speeches, like, he's giving a big speech or whatever, uh, are just not built for the new era right um one of the one of the reasons that mccarthy flops so hard is he just comes out and just acts like a little gremlin on the the, the show and then edward murrow is just the most measured man just like constant like sitting there shooting down all of the the things he said being like he didn't actually refute anything i said so he must not have any complaints about the factual nature of them and he's done he's cooked <laughs> uh it's really funny because of history yes well yes you know, the part where the news went the idea that people would like be rational about discussing these sorts of things especially in public discourse just doesn't exist anymore no it's kind of depressing it is depressing it's just not in the, not necessarily the way this movie frames it as which is like oh the television sold us out and we can't do education anymore on tv um so I, f- I thought this movie was like, it looked really good. I liked the acting, but it was um, kind of shallow uh, and very embarrassing constantly. Um, <laughs> because the, 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 the like myth making around, uh, like the liberal myth making around McCarthyism always fascinates me. It's a very interesting thing because uh, it's a way to like, it's a thing they love to do because it's like a time they could be more patriotic than the, the, the fucking conservatives. Uh, and, and so they get into this trap where they're like, it's bad to witch on people for being communists. We're definitely not communists. <laughs> we would never be communists. We would never. Not at all. My uh, ex-wife was, you know, she went to a meeting, but I wouldn't say she was a communist. Uh, and so it really gets into a little, uh, just a little pickle as it, as it tries to deal with this stuff, which is endemic to all of, like, this is a whole genre of media is is looking back at McCarthyism. The fourth Indiana Jones movie is inexplicably this for some reason. Um, is it? I don't remember that. Yes! Like, a half the movie is, like, they don't like Indiana Jones anymore because he they don't trust him. They could have common sympathizers and they're like, I fought for you in World War II. I'm one of the true patriots. Uh, uh, like, he's going back to, he's doing that chase through the uni and that's got a bunch of... There, there's the... There's the weird, there is the weird bit in the, the, the point on this movie, which is just true. It's like, it was 20 years ago, we were all on the same side. What are you fucking talking about? Like, it was not a problem. Yeah, it, it was 1932. <laughs> uh, yeah, and obviously that's that's framed as like, it's normal to to go to like meetings in, in that sense. But it obviously, George Clooney is not going to deal down to the like, hey, why did we all start hating Russia in 1946? Like, insanely, why did that happen? It's <laughs> not yes. really, like, the pivot the movie makes. Cause no, the movie's not about communism at all, right? It's no. about it's about how uh, the McCarthy and his ilk do not believe in the proper due process of good, God-fearing, Ameri- God-fearing Americans, right? It's like, it's mm-hmm. it's the, 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 we have to follow the rules if we're going to have a good American country. <laughs> And yeah. it's, like, it's also very, very obviously about, uh, you know, Iraq. Like, yes. This, this is a movie made in 2006, and anyone watching is going to be drawing the lines today. What's the current, like, thing you can't speak out about? And I'm imagining, like, you know, how well it went when we all took George W. Bush to process task uh, <laughs> about his improper conduct. Uh, many successes have been brought over the years of getting tutting about the president's improper conduct. Um so I don't like agree with the movie's worldview, but it is sometimes fun to watch, uh, you know, a Hollywood guy pour his heart out into truly believing this thing that isn't true, uh, but he does it in black and white and has a lot of fun with it. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, uh, like fucking uh, Mark Cuban's one of the producers of this movie. <laughs> Of course he like, is! Like, only yeah. things that can exist in 2005. Mm-hmm. Fucking of course he is! It was, a, it was a different political landscape in America back then. Sure was. It's, like, wild to me. You could not make this movie after, or now. You just It would just be about very different things. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do appreciate that it ends on Murrow's speech um, at his, like, you know, you had a great career, even though he's like still trying to get shows produced in 1958, um, where he just yells at them all for, uh, you know, I, I was successful once and I lost my job for it. Like TV is not a media that is cares about these things, <laughs> which yeah. was true then and remains true now. The sponsors are king. I mean, it, so I was thinking obviously a lot about Quiz Show when we watch this because mm. uh, they're the same movie. 
I was thinking um, of broadcast news, but yeah, sure. I was thinking of network news. It is, I mean, it's network as well. There's a lot of these, but I was thinking of Chris because it specifically has the like. We had, there was a moment where TV could have been like something that changed things, but the the sponsors killed it. Uh, and it has also a very embarrassing view of America. I like Quiz Show a lot more. I just think it's a better movie. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I was like think constantly comparing them in my mind. Uh, this movie is so much more understated. It does not like heighten the melodrama. It's much more about guys in rooms kind of mumbling about the problems. Yeah, yeah. that's what I like about it. I like that it's yeah. low key. Um, we must I mean, cut it, to the CBS jazz band. One of the <laughs> one of the uh, like Fred Friendly, the character George Clooney plays in real life, like quit CBS when they ran I Love Lucy over the Senate hearings of Vietnam in Vietnam. He was like, we're, we're news. We do news. What are you doing? Why are you running I Love Lucy? Um, it's important. And then went on to like be one of the people who like led the creation of PBS and was an advocate for, you know, public cable access television. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah. Just a guy who really believed that TV should be for the people, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means like, you know, you put on your dumb local access show, uh, but that's fine. That's like the thing working as it's supposed to. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he did not win. <laughs> the, well, the, no. the, the history no. of the medium went the other direction. Yeah. Um. There is, however, a very funny bit where after the first uh, uh, Ed Murrow like, report on the McCarthyism, he's doing an interview with Liberace. Yes. Oh, <laughs> the I Liberace love that video scene. is so cringe because you know that everyone working in the news at that point knows knows the deal. Like, everyone knows the score, right? But, like, culturally, you just can't talk about it. Nope. Uh, yeah, the, so the, the interview's fun, but it's also, like, the framing of it is, like, this movie genuinely believe this is one of the most humiliating things you could do to it, it, newsman Edward R. Murrow. And I'm like, it's fine to do the celebrity uh, puff piece sometimes. Do I mean, beneath the, him. I, the thing the movie believes is that Edward R. Murrow thinks it's beneath him, right? I think there's a different type of newsman who understands that you sometimes you have to eat shit for doing. I mean, he does. He agrees to do it because he wants to run the piece, right? He knows that he's going to have to do the stupid thing to do the thing he wants to do. I do not think the movie believes that Edward Amaru. I I think the movie is like in lockstep with that. The movie thinks that this thing is like. I think uh, the movie has fun with like, oh, this is a ridiculous Liberace thing that happened in real life, and uh, he's talking about how he wants to find the perfect man, just like Princess Margaret. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, the, the Liberace stuff is very funny but um, I, I just mean like the movie to, like if I could make one change to this movie it would be cutting out the opening speech at the start of the movie where he's like this is about the kids on their phones <laughs> oh, this is a bad way to frame the movie I don't know I, I do think I think this is I think this is more about it's 2005 no one's on their phones it's about reality TV I just I don't the same thing. I, even the same more than reality point. TV like Normal television also had this. Before reality TV, people were saying this about normal television also. Yeah, but, but but it's being made in 2006, and he is like talking like, in the future, we'll have seen that we'll have failed television's fight. And you're watching this, and you're meant to be thinking, yes, you're right, television is so crap now. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I just think it like put the movie in like a weird, like it's just a weird opening thing to do when the movie is mostly just telling the story of it. Uh, I, I think that like, there is a dual criticism running throughout, right? Where they are cr- criticizing the sponsors, criticizing the like management, but they're also like criticizing the audience because like the audience doesn't want it because uh, the doesn't really understand the difference between like the uh, companies deciding what makes money and the audience being like where the money comes from. It ultimately puts the blame on like the audience for not being. Uh, well, I mean, to- as a, it's like an edutainment piece. I think it's the call to action, right? It's like as mm-hmm. audiences demand more of your entertainment, like try to be entertained and educated at the same time. Like ask for something better than what you're getting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, it just didn't hit as much. I was definitely rolling my eyes at the, uh, at the start of the film. Um, no, I don't know. On some level, I'm like, TV should be better. It's not. And that's why I watched the internet instead. Right. Like we got a question about like, what do you think about like, it's in the emails, something about like, what do you think about like TV as an educational medium? And I'm like, uh, it won because I watch YouTube all the time and I learn a lot by doing so (laughs) on some level that exists. It just stopped being on television. Yeah. Uh, It's cathode ray dude, cathode ray dude teaching me about old computers (laughs) for an hour. (laughs) Yes. I watch a lot of that. That's like, that's what I spend all of my free time on is watching dumb educational YouTube, not even like essays, just like videos about old stuff or like obscure stuff that I think is interesting. 
but there's also like no standards, right? Like you can no, watch a lot absolutely. of educational YouTube that fucking sucks. But the idea the that TV ever like could could be an, could be a the the guardian of that is uh, ridiculous. It never could have because it's that's the part where the sponsors get in the way, and also just like what the times will accept. You need to be able to be educated beyond what is socially acceptable, which is like what the movie argues a little bit right it's like you know we you can't just like re only read the books that joe mccarthy thinks are good you're not gonna learn anything <laughs> uh no but it is also like the the method for that should be everyone sitting down and getting their lecture from Edward R. Murrow, the guy who knows things. <laughs> well, yeah, that part disappeared. I want to believe that there could be a world in which like people who are like measured and uh, inter interested in like the world and want to educate people could have positions of power. I just have never seen it in my lifetime. <laughs> uh, no. There, there was there was Mister Rogers, and he was a kids show host. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I just don't have the like because I don't have the reference for this guy. I do. I just kind of found the like hagiography for a person reading some news uh, to be ridiculous on its face. I mean, face. that's the thing is like we've just grown up in an era where like the suspicion of the media with cause, uh, with mountains of evidence, has always been true for us, right? We just don't know it any other way. Um. Yeah, I mean, but that's not other... how that's not how the first four decades of television went, right? Mm -hmm. I think another thing is just like. I, the, the the journalist as like, uh, truth telling hero, yes, um, is an extremely American invention, like culturally. I don't know if that's true. That's is not it? true. Is there's got to be there's got to be British paper journalists who have their puff like they, there's a history of this sort of thing. Like all oh, the brave people doing the good fight. There's like it's not not here, but the lack of a Watergate in the UK means that like the general. The general vision of journalists in the UK is much lower than in America. They don't have the, like, everyone basically sees them as fucking friends of the, 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 the government who all fucking suck and are corrupt. Like, it, it, oh, I've been yeah. true my whole life. Uh, that's generally the, like, cynical way that I've seen political journalism talked about and covered in the media and, like, in, uh, usually in, like, ah, oh, nothing really matters satire, which is his own, like, liberal problem, right? You can go yes. watch fucking Inuchi do the death of Stalin right now and be really annoyed about it, right? <laughs> I'm not saying our culture's better. It does have a, just a different, like, bent to, uh, how it, uh, like, portrays the stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not one where we're like, man, remember the good newsreaders? At least to me, I'm sure there are British people doing that. Maybe just, I never saw that, but I don't know who the... Maybe there is a famous British 50s newsreader who everyone loved that was educating the people. I guess the equivalent here would be like the people who really believe in like uh, Bertram Russell and the BBC's original um, like... Uh, uh, like It's like educate, inform, and something else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is all right. Like that's that's our version of this. It's like the BBC going from uh, we always have to educate the as a public broadcaster and not just become a commercial thing. And then what happened to the BBC over the years is usually the way. But that's also tainted by you know Bertrand Russell being incredibly racist because you know anything from the British in the thirties is going to be incredibly racist. We're an empire. We're evil. We're the worst country in the world. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that stuff is uh, just true, right, in the world. Because yes. uh, the whole bit where, like, in the original speech, he's like, oh, we've done reports on all sorts of things. We've done it on McCarthyism. We've done it on uh, segregation. And I'm like, this whole audience is white, my guy. <laughs> this whole audience <laughs> yeah. is white. It's the 50s. Uh, yes, it truly is the 50s over here. Um, But as someone who likes to speak and believes that communication of ideas is important, I wish I want this to be true, even if maybe it never was um, or if it was, it was only for a little bit and for a certain like type of monoculture that has never existed in my lifetime um, where someone could just speak real good and people would listen. Right. <laughs> That's still true. It just is not. Just what, yeah, but what people mean that and they mean fucking Donald Trump and not like <laughs> not anyone advocating for good things. Um. Ah, there's people who I just think that like what speech is is different. It's just not like measured guy talk. You still have to be charismatic to like get people to listen sure, to you. But even like the quote unquote on my political side version of this is like the fucking daily show, which I can't stand. It never could. Well that's because you're I'm you know, you're talking about television. Yeah. Uh but like I I mean like the, you know, People people liked fucking Jeremy Corbyn before they killed him. He's, he's still alive, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, there I'm just are saying it's like people who um, I think I think that like you know, internet videos and podcasts exist a, as a as a successor to television as much as they exist as a successor to radio, right? Like, we we are the 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 commentary essay running before the like after the nightly news sometimes. 
Well, yeah. And you, you are constantly listening to people that you enjoy the way they speak and argue, and therefore it has influenced you in yes. your life. That's just true. But, but I, none of us are becoming Edward Murrow. Well, no. <laughs> Joe Rogan becomes Edward Murrow, unfortunately. Uh. Well, yes. No, the, 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 the ones who get famous and have money are not the left-wing guys. They're not the like yeah. communists you're listening to. Yeah. Um, but that's nothing to do with the power of oratory going away. <laughs> No, it's those damn sponsors. Once again. <laughs> Austin Walker could have been on Disney XD. Austin Walker briefly was on Disney XD. I know, that's the, yes, exactly. <laughs> and maybe he could have told the youth of America to invest uh, in Morrowind a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but no, they take everything from us. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> stupid. Don't know I don't what know. anybody's talking about. Oh, don't oh, worry when, about it. Uh, when Waypoint had like because Vice had this thing with Disney X with like Disney properties, or whatever. There was a bit where they were doing they were recording bumpers for like Vice documentaries and video games that ran on Disney XD. Oh, the the like Disney Two network for like oh, slightly yeah. older audiences. Oh, I know what Disney XD is. I just didn't okay. know that. <laughs> so there was a there was a brief period. Ross was like, do, "Am I going to get to do the Mickey Mouse ears?" <laughs> Which did not happen. <laughs> I think they were done with them by that point. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I know. That's but like a 2005 thing. A world in which Austin Walker gets to draw the Mickey Mouse ears on the television screen is the greatest world. We should have. De- we deserved it. We did. Um, I think about it uh, honestly way more than I probably should. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a beautiful life. Uh, I'm just imagining all of them. Patrick doing the fucking ears. Uh, that'd be a great time. I'd love all those bumpers. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts before we move on to our stuff? Um, I uh, love all the dresses in this movie. A lot of good dresses. The jazz singer doesn't have a good dress, but like... Uh, good, good dresses for a minute. Um, let's, I'm trying to think of anything else. Yeah, no, uh, I thought that the plot with Robert Downey Jr. and Patricia Clarkson was made up for the movie. And I'm, yeah, no, they were married until he died. Yeah. They were consultants on the movie, the the couple. Um, that makes sense. Because, yeah, (laughs) that they were just in it. I was like, well, I mean, like, I guess this is the kind of related to the culture of, but not really not really only if i squint not really yeah. not really got anything to do with that they were there i don't know like why leave them out <laughs> it's just that this movie doesn't like have a lot of drama um, no like it, it presents things that are happening but doesn't like dive into like much of the conflicts except in this game it does for these two uh it's like oh they're gonna be able to like be out in the office or, or i don't know it's one of them gonna have to get fired um I did like the scene where they're like, oh, thank God, at the one they're getting fired. <laughs> they I, love have- I love the bit where everyone's like, did, they're married. Does everyone know? Yeah, everyone knows. <laughs> <laughs> I like that they just had their rings with them. Because yes. at the beginning of the movie, like, you see them put their rings away at home. But then, like, when they get fired, they're like, oh, we okay, take them out. <laughs> uh, that was cute. It's just, it's just very funny. It's like one of the one, the few running, like threads in the movie that isn't just reading out news with the news broadcasts. Yeah. Um, I had a final thought. What was it? I forgot. Oh, um, Alex Borstein's in this and I, I haven't really seen anything she's in. So when this lady shows up and she just sounds like Lois from family guy, it fucks me up every single time. <laughs> she's been in so much. She was on Gilmore girls for a minute. She was on the, the Miss, Mrs. Maisel show. Yes. Which I have not seen. She's got that old-timey vibe she's perfect yes. for this sort of movie so when she was the first like face you see i'm like yeah we're in for a treat <laughs> lois is uh, here any final thoughts uh no i was about to start talking about family guy same so okay you never watched mad tv when she was on mad tv no i hated mad tv because i oh. liked mad magazine and i thought mad tv was really obnoxious this is a very goofy this is a you from the 1950s <laughs> yeah I was gonna say, this is the most m opinion i loved mad tv i would watch it over saturday night live sometimes because it came on saturday night live would start 
half an hour would pass and then it'd be time for mad tv and we would just switch over we wouldn't even yeah finish I didn't, I didn't really exactly, my my sketch comedy show growing up other than like uh all that or whatever was uh in living color which is unwatchable probably now because it's half the jokes are fucking ableist or homophobic but or fat jokes <laughs> yes um man i loved it as a kid i loved that show too but i think it was on a different night it yes, wasn't a yeah. Saturday night show. No, no, no. I was. I just didn't like Saturday. I didn't grow up with Saturday Night Live. Like there was a very lit, thin period around Saturday Night Live, but it wasn't around the Mad TV like stuff. I watched it pretty religiously, but that's beside the point. Is it time for questions? Yes. All right. Questions. If you'd like to send questions, you can send them to abnormalmappingpodcast at gmail.com. They can be about anything, not just what we covered. Um, first one. Is from Joe's. I'm watching a bunch of Bergman's movies after seeing Fanny Alexander over Christmas break. One of the fun things about watching his movies in somewhat chronological order is how he gathers a crew of actors around him that he keeps working with. It's cool to see Max von Sydow, who plays the Knight in Seventh Seal, return as a gas station attendant in Wild Strawberries. And of course, B.B. Anderson or Liv Oldman in his later movies. My question is, do you know of any other directors who did multiple movies with the same actors? Wes Anderson comes to mind, but do you have any director slash actor combo you really like? I love... This is the most destiny answer, but David Lynch and Laura Dern, David Lynch and Jack Nance. <laughs> um, I love John Waters' uh, Dreamlanders crew, like everybody that he made movies with, Mink Stoll, Divine, uh, Cookie Mueller. Like, yeah, that little crew is really cool. What about y'all? Uh, I have a, like, my, my gut answer is like Tarantino, even though he's cringe these days. Um... But I love the the Tarantino recurring players, other than Christoph Waltz, who you know I have an eternal grudge against for being a bad actor. <laughs> he's good in Django Unchained. I don't care. Yeah, he's the problem is he's the exact same in literally every movie I've ever seen him in. Man can't act, save his life. <laughs> yeah, luckily the thing he was required to do was like the, Tarantino did make him do the thing that he was needed for the movie. He just he then tried to go into other movies and like, what's he fucking doing here? Why is he thinking he can be a movie? <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are mean to that man. It's fine. <laughs> Look, if, if I if I met him, I wouldn't say it to his face because it'd be rude. But I, I don't have to sit here and pretend I think he's a good actor. He's not a good actor. It's fine. <laughs> I would also not be very good in a bunch of movies. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not I trying to be. Either, yeah. Um I'm I'm like the the fucking, you know, the Cohen brothers regular. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Love a wife the, guy. Love love a Francis McDormand appearance in a Cohen movie. Everyone does. It's delightful. Um, Kyle Wrightson, do you prefer lawyer movies or journalist movies? Journalist movies. Um, really depends on the type. I like both. Uh, a lawyer movie is good fun. Uh, they both have, they're so formulaic that I would need, I just want to go back and forth, generally speaking. Um, um, yeah, my gut response to this is journalist movies, but lawyer television. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> there we go. Because you need the court stuff to be low stakes. Yes. You need the court mm-hmm. stuff to be low stakes so you can just have some fun with lawyers being evil. Yes. Yeah. You want Boston Legal on your I life. want Boston Legal all the time. I want Boston Legal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's correct. <laughs> um, and Kyle's a second question. You were tasked with casting a heist movie. The studio demands at least one established star, one up and comer, and four to six character actors. Who do you pick and what roles do you cast them in? How dare you pretend that we know who up and comers are? I say to you. <laughs> yeah, I, had to like Google. I had to Google up and comers. I don't know a single one. I like. I would have to cast this movie as if I was doing it in 2001. I wrote my thing out, but I didn't, I didn't give anyone roles. I'm like, you can figure this out. I think you can figure out who everyone's going to be in. But uh, I did, I did throw mine together. Uh, who wants to go first with theirs? I'll do mine real quick. I just okay. wanted like a cool heist movie with black actresses. Mm. So like, you've got Pam Greer is like the leader who's like the old hand that's been doing it forever. And then like her friend, Angela Bassett's the muscle and then, like, Kiki Palmer does, like, the tech side of things. And then they got to, like, bring in the kid, you know. And the kid is Zoe Kravitz. And I just think that movie would warm me and be my favorite movie. <laughs> uh, all right. Jackson, do you want to go? I don't. I do. I, 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 like, didn't know any modern actors. So I, didn't, I didn't know. I, I didn't know you'll be home with better lists. Uh, all right. My squad, like I said, do not have the roles, but you can just kind of put them wherever you want them. Uh, our big star is Kate Winslet leading this. 
Uh, our character actors are Wendell Pierce, <laughs> uh, Jennifer Tilly, Ooh. Dave Batista, <laughs> uh, Garrett Wang from Voyager. <laughs> yes, Harry Kim himself. Uh, Janet Jackson, uh, who is horribly wasted in every movie she's ever been in. <laughs> uh, Wallace Shawn, the classic. Um, and then our up and comer is a uh, young Hunter Schaefer who needs to be rescued from bad television and bad films. And Who's bad video games? <laughs> and bad video games. Yes, future bad video What's games. he been in? I don't know who that oh, is. Oh, she, she's she, the oh, she. she's the uh, lady from Euphoria uh, and was in these uh, Songbirds and Snakes prequel to Hunger Games recently. Uh, and is in the Kojima game coming out. Actress who is in the Hunger Games movie. How have you not been aware? I didn't even see the trailer which, to that Which I movie. feel like is like is like at the extent of up and comer when you're in the Hunger Games thing, but like stardom's weird these days. Um and uh I liked her in Euphoria, but you know, Euphoria's dead. Though <laughs> was there reports like, oh, he's trying to write Euphoria season three, and everyone everyone's like, dude. Yeah, he's no, over. that's not real. So that's not real. He's so done. Uh also that they're gonna be like forty five by the time that, that season comes out. <laughs> <laughs> um you just cast like the fucking third Benoit Blanc movie. Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, there was a brief period where I was like, does it, do, I was like, am I just making like the third one of the, can I just put him in there? And I was like, ah, I don't want to go that far. Um, but you but, see how I'm like, that's basically, you know, you, you want your esoteric lineup of guys for a Benoit Blanc movie. Yeah, I just wanted guys that I pop every time I see them in something. And this is the list. This is the fucking list. What's BD Jan- Wong up to? Being, being in Jurassic, Jurassic Park sequels, <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, because yeah, he needs he needs to like turn up more. Is he still an SVU, or is that did he stop being SVU fifteen years ago? I don't actually know. I, I have know. no idea. I don't really watch that regularly. That's what you watch um, when you're at my grandma's house. <laughs> Dia writes in with a nightmare email, as usual. Thank you, Dia. With eight thousand goats. In between the goats is where did George Clooney go? And then there's an investigator after the go. He's a father. He's got twins. He's directing fake movies. He is directing fake movies. He did get married and have kids. This is what happens to all uh, bachelors who make too many films. They get old and they get married and they have kids. He's married to that lawyer. He's directing the same movies he always has. They just got faker over time as movies have changed. (laughs) He was in a cameo in The Flash. Oh, was he? Yes. There's a bit... There's a bit at the end of that. I think it's like a post. I don't know if it was. I saw it on YouTube because I did not watch The Flash. Because I know he, he wasn't fucking Batman. So what did they do? So, yeah, there's a bit where uh, Ezra Miller as The Flash is there to meet Ben Affleck, like as Bruce Wayne. And the car rolls up and George Clooney gets out and he goes, hey, Barry. Are you sure that's right? And not a deep fake. Because like, I have not, no idea. Maybe it's a deep sure fake. Are you sure you're not fucking posting about a deep fake to me right now? Because that sounds fake. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, we'll the Flash it. Wikipedia. It's hard to tell because they're all fucking uh, YouTube rips of the film, right? Why don't I just look on George Clooney's Wikipedia page? Yeah. Well, George no, Clooney appears no. uncredited as a variation of Bruce Wayne replacing Affleck's version of the ending. Yes, That's, this is just yeah, on Wikipedia. Okay, that is real. They did, they did, sorry, they made a movie that I'm like, this real movie is probably a deep fake. That's how <laughs> fuck the Flash is. I mean, to be fair, Flash and Notorious for having real deep fakes in it of in it, famous dead yes. actors. So you see how I'm like, well, it's probably a deep fake too. Uh, even even Nick Cage is like I. They didn't tell me what they're putting me in. They basically deep faked me, and I agreed to be in it. <laughs> um, Crystal writes in: What movie ending would be improved by sending it to Lincoln Park's "What I've Done" in reference to the famous end of Oppenheimer "What I've Done" video going around? And the answer is you can't do better than that one. Actually, <laughs> it's perfect. I agree. Um, the, I mean, Crystal's correct answer is it all movies. It is well, one yes. of the most perfect songs to end a movie to. Yes. Uh, and it makes me laugh because Coheed were going for that uh, with The Running Free. Um, like, I love The Running Free. Great, great song, guys. Is uh, it the end of a gonna... movie? I don't know what you're talking about. Pardon? Does Running Free play at the end of a movie? No, no, no. They, they, they wrote that song to try to get the Transformers gig. But they oh, didn't okay. know they were up against the hydrogen fucking bomb that is what I've done. <laughs> oh, is that actually the ending of Transformers? Yes, it's the ending of Transformers 1. That's, I what, that's where What I've I Done comes from. Okay. Uh, De- oh, here's a. I'm going to exposing Destiny. I showed Destiny this video this morning because she has never heard what I've done. What? We watched like the video. And she's like, "Yeah, I've never heard that song before." Sorry, are you I, an alien. <laughs> I've the only Lincoln Park songs I know are on Hybrid Theory. But 
you never heard what I've done. Like, I was like, you exist in the world. It. How have you never heard what I've, I've done? I've just never heard it. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I wasn't listening to Linkin Park in 2007. Neither and was I. They weren't this playing that on the, the radio as far as I know. It's insane to me. Did you just say they weren't playing what I've done on the radio? Did you just say uh, okay, well, the radio I was listening to, they weren't playing it. That's true. But like, what? I just about? missed it. I don't know. You missed stuff. It's not that. Now surprising. I'm going to flip this slightly around and say, Em, it's a little rich for you to be like, I can't believe you haven't heard of a song. Uh, it's what I've done. I was like, I was like, it's, it's like, it's not only like, was it big at the time, but it's like mimetically important over the last 20 years. Like, what are you talking about? I just not on that part of the internet. I can't believe you haven't seen what I've done edits. Everyone's always editing what I've done in every yeah. movie. Nope. I've seen lots of other songs in edits. Never that one. Anyway, before sunset. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is I can think of is ones that are basically doing the exact same thing that Oppenheimer already did. But like, it, you know, it's from the album Minutes to Midnight on Oppenheimer. It's perfect. You can't beat that one. I'm sorry you did it. <laughs> yes, I understand. But, uh, it, it works for all the movies. The question was not, can you beat Oppenheimer? Though I am, um, having not seen Oppenheimer, the, the big Oppenheimer meme was everyone posting the ending. I was like, thanks, guys. <laughs> it did annoy me um, a few months ago. Spider-Man 2. <laughs> Do you remember the end of Spider-Man 2? Like yes. the final shot of Spider-Man 2? Okay. Yes. <laughs> because that um, movie has a graduate ending for no reason. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. <laughs> okay. Titanic. God. <laughs> I'm just picking a random movie. I really don't know, but Titanic would be funny. Um, there's no, there, there are none where it doesn't work. There's none where it doesn't work. I can't think of a movie where, uh, even if it would be like offensive and bad, that it wouldn't like work in a way you can't it. for it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I can just say some like really like extreme movies and be like, oh, imagine playing what I've done over that. It'd be really offensive. Um, but. In, a, in, like, in like a formal way, I'm trying to think, is there a movie that way it genuinely wouldn't work to have um, what I've done in there? It's flipping the question around the other direction. I couldn't think of one. I mean, like it would, there's ones that would work less, but I'd, I'd pop for it every time is the thing. Tar. <laughs> I haven't seen Tar. No, tar would, would, would be incredible there too. Um, Modern writes in, was reminded that the snowman exists and was astonished that it was Thomas Alfredson's immediate follow-up to Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. What's the biggest gulf in quality between two adjacent films in a director's filmography? Um, uh, go ahead. This is the Richard Linklater answer to me. I didn't even know which one, but I was like, doesn't he do fucking um, like men, women, and children right after before midnight or whatever? I don't know exactly. I mean, I think it's maybe just Boyhood right after before midnight. Um, uh, some would say he was making uh, Boyhood for a decade, actually. Well, yes, he was making. I can't believe he's still making Boyhood. <laughs> in about in four years, do you think he's gonna be like, I got Boyhood two ready for the ready to go? Oh, that'd be so fucking funny. <laughs> Just surprise drop it. I'll uh, fall he, asleep to Boyhood two. Uh, but his like mid twenty tens, I don't even know fall off because like. It turns out apparently everyone was always like, oh, he, can't, he occasionally just makes some terrible fucking movies. I'm not a huge Richard Linklater like guy. I just really liked the before movies um, and did not like Boyhood. And then he did that like Facebook movie and then he did that like guy getting kidnapped or girl getting kidnapped movie and falling in love with the kidnapper film. Uh, so uh, his stuff. Um, Destiny. David Gordon Green made a great movie called Halloween and then he made a movie called Halloween 2. Halloween is bad. Also. I have to and then he made this. a movie called Halloween I, Three. <laughs> I, I genuinely have to cut all this. I've done something so embarrassing. What? What? I've confused Richard Linklater and Jason Reitman. Oh. <laughs> I was. I. I got them all confused. I'm like, this has to not be on the podcast. Everyone's gonna yell at me so much. I'm gonna be so embarrassed. <laughs> Jason Reitman made the Men and Children movie after doing fucking uh, Young Adult, which is a movie I really like. So uh, I'm shifting the answer to him. All right. <laughs> I'm not cutting it. Oh no! It's the well, you caught mercy. your mistake. You caught your mistake. That's uh, very like, funny. Is that, is that I didn't know what you were talking about, so I was just nodding along. No idea. Head empty. I wasn't thinking. I, 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 for, I, I my, all of my link I've ladder never, references. I've never heard of the film Men, Women, pre- and Children. So, okay, so Jason Reitman does Juno, Up in the Air, and Young Adult, which are all three movies I like. Then yeah. he does uh, Labor Day, which is the guy getting uh, women getting kidnapped movie and falling in love. Uh, with Josh Brolin, and then he does oh, Men, Women, Children, right. which is all the like 
people be on their phones in the internet movie, which are fucking terrible films. Uh, so I would say young adult to those two. That is, okay. is the biggest gap. But for some reason, I thought that was Richard Linklater in my head. Um, I mean, Richard Linklater does make bad movies as much as he makes good movies. So yes. I, yeah. um, I've got a perfect answer here. Uh, a, a late 70s, early 80s V of quality. Okay. 1977, Steven Spielberg makes Close Encounters of a Third Kind, one of the greatest movies of the 70s. 1979, his next film is 1941, a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> In 1981, he makes Raiders of the Lost Ark, one of the greatest movies of the 80s. <laughs> um, that's, <laughs> I've not seen 1941. Um, Nobody that, has, other than me, because I watched all of his movies <laughs> in a certain point in my life, and that one's fucking terrible. It's not even his worst movie, but it is really bad. Always is his worst movie, if you must know. <laughs> No one, no one's like, oh, you got to seek out 1941. You got to go seek out all the Spielbergs and watch 1941. Yeah, no, because it's bad. Um, Ritz writes in. I recently watched Francis Ha and was thinking about directors choosing to shoot in black and white. Which director are you surprised hasn't shot in black and white? I'll be honest with you. Literally every director, I'm like, maybe they should shoot in black and white. I think has done a black and white film. I couldn't think of a fucking one. <laughs> I was surprised Richard Linklater had never done a black and white movie. Like I literally wrote down Linklater as my answer before we talked about Linklater. Because I was like, you know, I was like, Christopher Nolan should go black back to black and white. The black and white stuff of Memento is fantastic. He did. Did he? When? Oppenheimer, what are you? Oppenheimer's not black and white. Yes, it is. It's no, it's, it's, it's doing a mental thing. The the the, the post World War Two stuff is oh, black and white. Well, the, I haven't the, seen it. The, the ending video I watched the music video over is all in color. So because <laughs> well, that's, that's that's pre uh, the the hearing stuff, the guys in suit stuff. Uh, oh, okay. Is all in when it's all his McCarthyism yeah. hearings are in black and white. Because no McCarthyism idea. is the black and white era for cinema. Apparently. Okay. Yeah, I had no idea. I uh, yes, haven't watched it. Don't really intend to. So good, good I, for him for going back. But I wish he'd do it for a better movie. I mean, I've never seen it. Good. Yes, yeah. I've never seen it, so I can't say if it's good or. But bad. I don't like biopics, so you know, it's it's a hard sell. Everyone likes Oppenheimer, even the people like who I would assume not. I like know, it, so. I know, but I'm probably not going to ever watch it. Is the thing. I assume it's like Dunkirk, where I from the outside was like, this seems boring and terrible. Then I watched it, I was like, man, I didn't know had a good movie in it. Yes. Movie. Yeah. No, I know. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I was like Von Trier. I know he's like canceled these days, but uh, he made some black and white films early in his career. Um, these Tarantino's days. done black and white stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I couldn't think of one. I couldn't think of a single director that I was like, oh, they're really good, but they've never worked in black and white. <laughs> uh, has Paul Thomas Anderson done a black and white movie? Ooh, you know what? That's a, I don't think he has. Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm a few behind on Paul Thomas Anderson, but I don't think any of his movies are in black and white. Unless his like next his most recent two. Because I haven't seen uh Licorice Pizza or does he have another one? Uh, I think it's just Licorice Pizza. I think it's just Licorice Pizza. Oh yeah, yeah. No, you're yeah, right. Yeah, he's um, never done a black and white, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Damn, he should that do would one. be a good one. That's a perfect answer, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um yeah, I was like, I was like Scorsese, but Scorsese's uh, done black and white, and the Aviator is like partially in black and white. Um, Aviator's really cool about that. Stuff. Yeah, like all my favorites have done black and white. Um, Tron writes in. Uh, favorite looking shot since seeing this movie? Anything come to mind? Um, I I like the scene. Smoking. Oh, all the smoking. Yes, I liked uh, when they were sitting in that diner waiting for patricia clarkson to come back with the newspapers and they just kind of like show all their faces everybody sobers up and is really quiet yes that was yeah, really good i liked that a lot um what are the coolest looking microphones for you all i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i like it i love the look of microphones on like the big shock mounts i do not have one of those um i think they always are really neat not really fitting in my lifestyle. I've got a Yeti on my desk right in front of me. I'm using the stand it came with. I don't even use an arm. I'm like the only podcaster who doesn't use an arm. I've got a Yeti and a shock mount on an arm. Yep. And my mic still sounds worse than yours. <laughs> um, and, still. and then uh, Tron asked the question that I alluded to earlier. What are your thoughts on the possibilities of television and visual media as being used as a learning tool? <laughs> I disagree. I watch so much stuff on YouTube. I learned so much through video. Okay, I, I mean the visual media part, yes, but the television part. I learned a lot. See the television. earlier conversation we had. It was uh, exposing me to things I'd never seen before. Though That's... I am less positive about the possibility of like the internet as an educational tool. 
I guess, even though I, it was for me. It, everything I learned, I did learn from the internet. Uh, I just don't know how anyone's going to find it. The same way everyone else does. Someone tells them about it. Yeah. I could be be it could be better, like but like I just learned it from people talking at me about stuff. Well, yeah, that's what the internet used to be. It was a place where people said things and you found them that way. But now it's a, you know, you, the, the algorithm decides what you see and you're going to like believe some shit you saw on TikTok, even though it was clearly made up and, you know, nonsense. There's also educational shit on TikTok. You just yeah, got to get in that. the right mm -hmm. algorithm. It's hard out there. <laughs> but I do think that like people will find stuff even when the algorithms are bad. Yeah, like you know, there was yeah. a lot of signal to noise back in the day, also. But I mean, like even like the well-produced good source stuff uh, is often very bad. There's no, there's no, the world is bad. I don't know what you want. I watched a video the other day that was saying like such crazy shit about Korea, but in like a measured way that everyone's like, oh, I believe this person talking about the fucking Confucian <laughs> legacy on the Korean psyche, and that's explaining gacha games. I'm like, this is nonsense. The, the, what? The, the clip, the clip you shared was someone saying like, unlike Japan and what was the other country? Was it China? Unlike Japan and China, uh, Korea did not have a a legacy interrupted by interactions with the West, and I was like, "Dog, there was a whole war." <laughs> uh, yeah, it just like the only reference is like how the leaders of South Korea, with a little help from America, uh, like reconfigured this new. And, and I'm like, you, "A little help, a little help." That we destroyed the country and left the South <laughs> in charge of like the most repressive people uh, to like fight the communists. That was. That happened in the 50s. Right? Yes. Um, Alan Alda didn't live in a fake tent in the 70s for 13 years for nothing. Which is not a real beef that matters, but I was watching this the other day and I was like, this video is well produced. It's well sourced. It seems like vaguely leftist. Uh, the things it's saying are just like wrong. They're just wrong. And there's no way to know that unless you already know about like Korea and have like learned about the war and the history. Um, and that is just what I think of when I think about uh, like YouTube as an educational tool uh, is there's just no way to know. Which is true of all things, but I think it was better before when you could like talk to people when it was uh, less algorithm driven. Uh, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm always hesitant to say kids these days don't got it as good as I had it when I was coming up. Cause I, it, like, even if it's true, you sound crazy. Yeah. It's like just a regressive thing to, to advocate about. I did, and I agree with that. Cause I don't think like there was an inherent goodness to our generation. We were fucking saying nonsense all the time. Uh, believing stupid shit constantly. Uh, the internet was bad back in the day. It's fine. Um, but I do think the internet has has got worse at spreading ideas lately as it has like the corporations have found it the damn sponsors got in yeah and the damn yeah. sponsors yeah. are back the sponsors king uh all right that's it for questions if you want to send questions you can send them to our normal mapping podcast at gmail.com destiny what are we watching next time we are watching close up uh i had the director's name and everything up and then i <laughs> lost it so give me two seconds to get... I think it was Richard Linkletter, actually, you'll find. <laughs> shut, shut. Oh, we're not going to make fun of you. Oh, it's fine. Everyone makes mistakes. And now look at you. Uh, you are you talking about the 1990 Avis Karastami movie. Yes, I am. Yes. So that's what we're watching. Thank you. You were like, are you sure it's okay if I pick it? Because you just watched it last year. And I was like, yeah, sure. It's fine. Yeah, I, I didn't want to pick something you just watched because I feel like you'd be bored, but it uh, looks like you really liked it. So I did. I gave it five stars. I think it's a really good. It was one of my favorite movies last year. So <laughs> spoilers how I feel about the movie Close Up. We gonna talk was, about it. Was it one of your favorite movies of last year or was it one of your favorite movies? Of the year before. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, Fuck I'm if like... I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. It's 2024. Whoops. That whole thing. Destiny was like rattling off movies. Like she's like, I want to find something that nobody's seen. And I was like, it's just it incredibly it becomes harder over time. You can't just always go for that. <laughs> yeah, I like picking stuff that, that's new to all of us because I think it's like I don't know for some reason in my head I'm like that's gonna make for the better discussion, but it actually doesn't matter. Doesn't really make doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, all right, plugs Destiny at Fridge Buzz now most places and my other podcast Battling Girls. We have a recording date picked. We will be back. <laughs> okay. Jackson. You can find me at Headfalls Off on Twitter.com, on co-host and Blue Sky. You can find the podcast we do at abnormalmapping.com. 
You can find me on Twitter at EM underscore being. You can, uh, if you'd like to support our show, you can do that. Patreon.com slash normal mapping. For $5 a month, you get uh, Blockbusters, where we watch a Hollywood movie and talk about it. Uh, this month, we did uh, The Fugitive. Uh, please listen to me discover how Michael Douglas got throat cancer on air and lose my fucking mind. Uh, next month, we're doing Big, uh, which I'm excited to watch because I've never seen it. Um, our friend Neve gave it one star. That's why we picked it. <laughs> so... I'm um, expecting to not like that one. Uh, and for $10, you get VoIP Life, where we talk about some dumb shit every two weeks. It hasn't really been moved. Actually, there was quite a few movie episodes in a row, but the last episode was not about movies at all, I don't think so. But it is around. If you'd like to support all of our work, that's the best way to do it. Give us $10, get a bunch of uh, premium podcasts. Most of them are pretty good. Uh, we also talk about Gundam, but you probably know about that and whatever. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Share the podcast if you liked it. Uh, write in emails, of course, and we will see you next time. Until then, movies. Now more than ever. Don't expect to like them. <laughs>